What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the People You Meet podcast. I'm Richard White, and I'm here to tell your story one episode at a time. For episode 25, we meet sports reporter Coley Harvey. Of course, we talk baseball, but we also get into the pandemic, his cross-country road trip, and remembering Hank Aaron. So my first question, Coley Harvey, what's your favorite movie of all time, and why is it The Sandlot? <laughs> you, you hit it right on the head, man. That's exactly what it is. It's got to be the Sandlot always, you know. Um, I mean, I'm just like you, I'm a baseball guy. I, I love the sport so much. And when I was, uh, gosh, I guess Sandlot came out when I was like seven or eight or somewhere in there. And that was just a, a, a point in my life when, um, you know, I guess anything that you get interested in at that age, you just kind of naturally gravitate to and you kind of stay with for the rest of your life. And that's really what Sandlot was for me. It was just something, just a movie that I really enjoyed. It's just, it's a great movie. I mean, I, I don't know why people wouldn't like it. it. It absolutely is the best movie of all time. <laughs> it really is. I tell people that all the time. You have an underdog story. You have the good guy wins at the end story, but also oh, okay. like you get so attached to these characters that it's just, it's hard not to like that movie, right? Yeah. Um, even still, like that is still to this day my favorite movie of all time. You can ask my mom right now. Yeah, and she's like Richard really loves the Sandlot. <laughs> yeah. <That's> <laughs> right, um, right. I always make sure to watch it at least, mm-hmm. if not once every year, then a few times every year. Also, staying in the same tune with baseball. I know we're both big baseball nuts. We're both big fans. Where were you? But also, how are you still feeling after hearing the news of uh, Hank Aaron passing? Yeah, that day, that was uh, Friday, of course. I was actually at the grocery store and I was getting ready to get in the self-checkout line and my phone just kept buzzing. I was like, why is my phone going off? Finally, I said, you know, let me just take it out and see what's going on. And I had a friend, uh, had a couple of friends, two friends of mine, actually, who I grew up with playing baseball. Um, You know, we kind of talked separately a lot, but we hadn't talked as a group in a while. And I saw one of my friends, the first text I saw said, oh man, I can't believe it, the the goat Hank. And that was all they said, you know? And I knew right away you know, what it meant. And I guess a large part of that is because we know of Hank's age. And I knew that in recent years, you know, his health had not been as strong as it had been. So I, I guess I had been bracing myself for the possibility of that day coming, but it still hits you like, um, you know, like a whole... Uh, pile of two ton bricks just right to your gut um you know i mean i was i was really it really hit me you know it really it really sent me into a little bit of a daze uh for a minute and um you know i gathered myself finished checking out and all that and then i called my parents um you know i'm from atlanta originally my parents still live in atlanta and um at that time they actually had not heard Uh, my dad was out running errands himself and my mom just wasn't near the tv so i broke the news to them and, um, you know, it was just good to kind of get that familiar voice uh, to kind of talk through through that. But that's where I was when I heard it. Hank actually did hurt, to be honest with you. Um, similar to you, like, you know, we both love baseball, but also like your black baseball players, I feel like you're drawn to on a more personal level, mm-hmm. maybe because you can just see yourself in them, but also resonate with them as well. Right. And mm-hmm. um the more I just read about Hank, the more I just was sad for him. Like, he was literally the home run king. And to some baseball peers, you can, you know, still see him as a home run king, right? But, like, he never really enjoyed his success. And I did enjoy seeing all the stories that came out about Hank Aaron. And mm-hmm. But the biggest thing I saw was just a man who 
had so much success, but was burdened by that success and couldn't really ever enjoy it. Whether it was a FBI detail, whether it was like the thousands of death threats he got like each year, um, he never was able to really enjoy success. And to me, like, I just saw that as just like, sometimes just the burden of just being successful in Black in America. I remember watching Black Godfather Mm -hmm. and this man was nearing, you know, Babe Ruth's home run record and he still didn't have a single endorsement deal. Yeah. And Clarence Avant made that happen, but it just lets me know a sign of the times. But also, I just really hope he found peace. I really hope that he was finally able to breathe and just enjoy it. But he saw, I feel like, the true sides of people. You know what I'm saying? Of course, mm-hmm. we love him and laud him. But he saw both sides of people about how ugly people can be. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, how they can praise you the next second as well. As like a way to celebrate him, I uh, put on a Tim Anderson jersey for the day. Uh-huh. And just went on about my business because, I mean, I love black baseball players, but Tim Anderson, I absolutely love him. You know, in, in future years, he, he did get those flowers from the people who were closest to him. And the city of Atlanta uh, drew as close as anybody to him at, at that time. I mean, you know, you're talking about a man who was from Mobile, Alabama. He's from the South, uh, you know, about four hours from the city of Atlanta. Uh, obviously, his professional career began in Indianapolis when he was with the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro Leagues. Um, and then, and then in major league baseball, his career goes to Milwaukee. So, you know, he's, he's associated with these Northern cities, but when the Braves come to Atlanta in 1966, um, he became the black hero for the city. And that was evident, particularly as he was, uh, drawing closer and closer to this record. Mind you, the Braves in Milwaukee, the Braves were very good, but when the Braves got to Atlanta, they were okay. And so it became, Hank Aaron became the story on that team. And when you have a black figure in a city like Atlanta, which uh, of course now is is widely known, not only for being a, a quote unquote chocolate city, but also a chocolate city where people do well, you know, uh, you know, financially and, and otherwise, um, it, that 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 moniker was really beginning to take shape at that time, and Hank was part of the reason why he was who he was. You know, he he had to uh, obviously toe the line in a certain way uh, because of the threats that were made on his life and 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 things of that nature. But uh, but he was proudly black, and black people in Atlanta recognized that, and uh, even where he where he lived. Uh, so my my closest brush with him is really in every day of my life growing up as a kid. I mean, Hank Aaron's house was five minutes, if that, from where I grew up. Um, he was he was as part of a of, of the the fabric of Southwest Atlanta as um, really as anybody. So the thing about Atlanta that 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 those of us who are from there, we often kind of lose sight of is that we actually have a chance we had a chance, at least in those days, to reach out and touch some of these living legends. And the uh, the little league ballpark that I played out of when I first started playing baseball, uh, you know, it was right in my area, uh, you know, five to ten minutes away from where I live, five seven minutes away from where I lived, and it's all black. And our team names were Negro League team names, and Hank Aaron lived not that far away. So when we would do the opening days and various events like that, um, he would be there. And so that was my first interaction with Hank Aaron was when I was six years old. And as you begin to understand baseball history and particularly social history, you realize how how mammoth of a man this this man really was. And the last thing I'll say about this, where I, I kind of as I was kind of you know looking back at things at that at that time uh, a few days ago, 
I didn't really realize the timing on this until I was kind of doing, you know, some math one plus one over here, but Hank Aaron's home run number seven thirteen, that was uh, hit on the very last day of the regular season in 1973. So he right. ended the 73 season with Homer 713. Of course, 714 right. is what Babe Ruth Babe had. Ruth, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Four days after he hit 713, there's a mayor's race in Atlanta. That race ended up having to go to a runoff because, in, you know, as we now, everybody else around the country knows about Georgia, if you don't have 50%, you got to go to a runoff. So the mayor's race goes to a runoff. And I think the, the, the runoff was like two weeks later. And in the runoff, the first black mayor of Atlanta wins and that's Maynard Jackson. And he actually ended up having two separate terms as mayor of Atlanta. And it was just before his second term where there was a string of black mayors, Andrew Young, Maynard Jackson, uh, Bill Campbell, Shirley Franklin, Kasim Reed, and right now Keisha Lance Bottoms. So, uh, so that all began in that era. And I just, when I was doing the math, I'm like, you know, I feel like, Black folks and even some white white people in in Atlanta were able to say, man, you know, you look at what Hank Aaron's doing. People understood what he was under, the pressure that he was under. And to see this proudly black man doing his thing in that city, I think it gave them a little more of a chance to say, you know, maybe we can be led by a black man in this city. And, um, mm. you know, that's just my personal take as I was kind of doing some math on that. Just it just seemed like it was too coincidental that those two key things were happening so close together. That's a really good take, um, and thank you for that. Uh, I have a Hank Aaron story, and it's not <laughs> me as in experiencing him like personally, as in, mm-hmm. oh, I got a, oh, I met him. No, never got a chance to meet him. Um, really wish I could have, though. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my favorite Hank Aaron story, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I live in Oakland, right? Mm-hmm. I spent some time um, doing some stuff for the A's, and it was a lot of fun. I loved it, right? Mm-hmm. One thing I love about the A's is just, like, they really – um, make sure you know their history, right? Like little things here and there, right? Mm-hmm. So, MC Hammer, are you familiar? Of course, yeah, everybody. All right. So, MC Hammer was once a bat boy for the Oakland A's, right? Stanley Kirk Burrell. So, of course, mm-hmm. all the teams would come in, and people just were just blown away by his resemblance to uh, Hank Aaron. So, mm-hmm. people called him Hammer, and that's right. how MC Hammer got his name. That's right. I forgot about that. Right. So (laughs) to me, it's just like one, I love, you know, when sports and rap, you know, meet at the corner. And if that's not like the perfect corner to be at, but also just think of how many times you said hammer. Right. Right. But like, I didn't know that story till I was older. But even still, like that small interaction MC Hammer had as a kid carried him all the way through adulthood. And even now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess, you know, whether it be a cool story or just that's how influential Hank Aaron was to him or for him, he decided to keep that name and that moniker throughout his entire career. So mm-hmm. again, yeah. tipping my hat to uh, Hank Aaron, man, um, definitely a legend. I was um, going to say just real quick to, to, to yeah, add, sure. you know, you're talking about the the influence that somebody like Hank Aaron has on hip hop. Um, there, there's this picture that kind of went viral maybe three or four years ago now of, um, of Big Boy from Outkast he's with Hank and Hank's sitting in a chair and they're throwing up the A for Atlanta. And I didn't see that. Hilarious because you're right. like, what is Hank Aaron doing? But that, that, that just goes to show you the appreciation that somebody like big boy had the hammer had. Um, but also, uh, you know, that's the love that the city of Atlanta has for him and the love that he had for the city. 100%. And thank you for that. Um, while we're still on sports, 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're a sports reporter, correct? I am. Yep. Still am. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. If my memory serves me correct, you're covering college sports. Of course, you've covered college sports, but what was it like covering sports amidst the pandemic? Man, it has been, it's been strange. Uh, honestly, for me, it's been kind of, kind of quiet in many ways too. And I'll never forget any of this past year in large part because of the, the various things that have happened. But also I won't forget because of where I was when I realized how serious this whole thing was, you know, um, I was actually in Tampa uh, on, I believe it was the 11th. I flew down to Tampa. I had, no, I had to work on Wednesday, the 11th on March 12th, which was Thursday. I had to fly to Tampa for an XFL game that I was going to be doing sideline reporting for on that Saturday. Um, there was going to be a game between the St. Louis team and the Tampa team for the XFL, which of course had just come back was doing great numbers. Um, you know, people were really enjoying the XFL's return. It was a lot different than what it was back in the day. And uh, I was really excited about that opportunity. And um, I, I had to work at the Big Ten Network in the studio on that Wednesday. And all day I'm doing updates and shows and various things where we're talking about this coronavirus thing that nobody really knows about and how it's impacting the Big Ten tournament that's that's starting that night. Um, you know, how it's impacting some other sports. And it's just like, what is this thing? You know, is it really that big of a deal? And I remember a guy who um, who was a producer there at Big Ten Network, he kind of came up to us as we're all at our desks because we were all in the studio that day. And he's like, you know, I keep reading the, this, these, these, um, these stories about how they're, they're talking about the transmission of this thing. And, you know, if it, if it starts to kind of hit pockets, it's going to blow up, you know, and it's just like, really, you know, are we really going to face this? And sure enough, as, it, as the day just kind of kept continuing, you're just like, man, this is, this might be real. I want to cancel the game in Tampa. So I said, well, I'm just going to have to fly down there and, you know, we'll figure this whole thing out. And so I get on the plane Thursday, just expecting the whole time. I'm like, man, I'm going to fly down here and then they're going to cancel the game. And, you know, and that's going to be that. Well, I get down there Thursday. I even go to one of the team's practices and, you know, uh, I'm trying not to shake hands, you know, I'm trying to fist bump, but you kind of forget because you're in the habit of shaking people's hands. And that was kind of the extent that I knew of to try to stay safe. I, I did, you know, uh, you know, try to wipe things down on the airplane and all that. I remember doing all that, being kind of paranoid that way. Um, and we're sitting around waiting all day Thursday. And then finally, the end of the day, they cancel the game, and then we find out that evening that the XFL is canceling the entire rest of the season, and they may be getting ready to go bankrupt. And, you know, then you're hearing, wow, th this is going to start affecting other sports leagues. And I think the Big Ten tournament, you know, decided to pause its, itself that day. And um, somebody else, another league paused. I think the NBA paused that night. And it was just like, okay, this thing is getting real. So that Friday, that next day, I flew back to Chicago and – um, I mean, it was just like the, the expectation for people to be going out because that's St. Patrick's day weekend. And in Chicago, that's a big deal. So you had a Me lot too. of people that were talking about doing that in those Me couple of days. Up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, Friday and Saturday hit and they're like, nobody's going anywhere. Chicago's shutting down. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's the impact that, that the, the pandemic has had on me with sports. And honestly, that trip for the XFL, that was that was one of those moments where I'm like, all right, I've got this on, you know, this is coming up. 
I was supposed to be doing some uh, some kind of well, you don't really call it sideline, but the, the essentially the the equivalent of a sideline role for baseball coverage. I was going to be doing a little bit of that for Fox uh, going into last season as well. So I had all these really promising opportunities with uh, sports that I was really interested in and excited about. And all of that changed, you know, I even when baseball came back, I didn't get a chance to do any of that with baseball because, you know, we were in a, just in a different state. Um, you know, we're trying to cut corners in terms of paying for things here and there because of how the pandemic has affected things. And obviously the XFL was no longer a, a thing at that time. Uh, you know, once I did realize, once I got back to Chicago from Tampa and I realized how serious it was, I mean, I was staying home. I was you know, beginning to mask up, I was doing all those things. And so when I got back to work and I was going to stadiums, um, you know, I was really focused on trying to take care of all that as well. I was really, really trying to be diligent in, uh, in keeping myself safe and as well as keeping the players and, and, and staffs uh, stay safe where I was. Um, but that's really how it's impacted me. I guess the other the quick, the other thing that it's done for me is it's made me have to adapt. And one right. of the things I've, adap I've adapted is focusing on this website that I launched that uh, is just a way for me to stay in practice with writing and even doing a little bit of video um, so that when I do have those long periods of time where I'm not doing much, I'm still within practice, you know, and right. I'm still for building sure. up a name and a brand and that kind of thing, because that is a big part of, uh, of our industry now. Uh, it really is, good or you know, the whole brand, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Um, I kind of see the pandemic as like a huge double-edged sword. You know what I'm saying? Of course, we see how it's affected us negatively, but ironically, there are some positives to come from it, right? Um, for me personally, you know, similar to you, a lot of things like dried up for me and just stopped and just halted, mm -hmm. right? But like I was able to get so much sleep, right? That I didn't know I needed, right? <laughs> like I did not know I need that sleep because of course we're always, you know, be productive, be productive, be productive, and we're pushing through. Um, but a lot of times we gotta look through our body. But similar to you, I was actually, no joke, I was on my way to the A spring training. Like they were gonna be, I think it was owner's weekend. Mm -hmm. And so they were gonna be in Arizona, had the, you know, flight booked and everything. Um, I was going to fly out the next day, but mm -hmm. after all the sports leagues, like, you know, canceled and then it kind of just was like a domino effect. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, canceled the flight. And I just came home to Houston for some months. Just took my time. Had to make sure mom was okay. But like, it was just unreal to see the sports world, everything we've always known, Yeah, you know, just to be, to always keep on going, to literally see everything come to a complete halt. Never thought I'd see anything like that, right? Um, because no matter what, sports is always going to go. Um, at the end of the day, there's always money to be made somehow, some way. But, like, sports is always on the go. And seeing it come to a halt was was just something I just did not expect to see. It was kind of like seeing a giant fall to his knees. But what just made it different for me and what makes it sad for me is that, like, a lot of people that depend on those jobs, like, of course, the sports seem to make the money or whatever, and that's fine and dandy. But, like, my heart and my mind goes to the people that either cover the game or mm -hmm. give you the game experience, how everything stopped for them as well, right? And yeah. a lot of times we see, you know, the when you buy a ticket, you know, the ticket vendor, right? 
when you go to the game, the 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 usher, you know what I'm saying? If you want um food, the the vendor, you know what I'm saying? Um mm-hmm. a lot of those people, everything just stopped for them, right? And so mm-hmm. of course I I'm at a luxury, you know, no no wife or no kids. I can oh yeah, sure, that's fine, you know? Right. Not everybody has the same luxury. And so it just really kind of made me sad and I admire and appreciate the sports teams that stepped up and you know gave their employees a little something yeah. um, to soften the blow. But it was just very. Say that again. So unfortunately, not enough did. Not enough did, man. And I feel like a lot of it came after public shaming. I think you got to do something, and then and I think we know the teams that that was like, okay, guys, we'll give you guys something. <laughs> Some teams like didn't need to be asked, you know, and and some teams, you know, stepped to the challenge, which was great. But it was just sad. Something that I wanted to ask you: um, what was different? Like, what was you know one big thing, good or bad? You know, um, yeah, good or bad. What was one thing for you that you noticed this season? Um, you talking about in, in terms of the college football season, or uh, yeah. or or just dealing with the pandemic itself? Both, actually. Yeah, let's go both. Okay. Hmm. One thing, good or bad, in terms of the pandemic, I, I will say, honestly, in terms of the pandemic on the overall, kind of like you said, the good thing for me is that it really has slowed me down uh, in a way that I've needed to, uh, to your point where, especially in this industry, you just get go, 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 go. You're focused on what comes tomorrow. You're not so you know focused on even today. You're not even... Uh, focused on what just happened. Um, and for somebody like me, I I get so caught up into the busyness of things that, you know, things around home pile up, uh, uh, you know, bills will pile up, you know, I'm not a dirty person by any means, but, you know, I, there are times things could be cleaner, you know, when I'm really busy. And it really has folk, uh, uh, forced me into saying, you know what, if I'm not going to be working today or if I'm not going to be traveling today, uh, how can I best suit my time? What what can I do to occupy my time? And that has meant during this pandemic, it's meant, you know, clearing clutter. It's meant catching up on the filing systems that I have. It's meant challenging myself in different ways. Um, I've been a little, I've been a little bad this week, mainly because I've, I ended up kind of, things kind of picked up a little bit for me this week. Uh, but since March, I've tried to devote just about every day, at least five or six days a week to learning different languages. Um, you know, one day I'll learn and I, I actually took Spanish many years ago, but one day I'll try to focus on Spanish. And then the next day I'll try to focus on Italian. And so okay. I, I did that starting in March, just like, ah, you know, I'll do this for a couple of months. We'll see what happens in Thankfully, I'm still doing it. I'm, I'm still. I was about to ask, how's that going for you? It's going well. Um, I, I actually was thinking today as I was doing one of my lessons this morning. I'm like, this is really starting to make way more sense than I would have imagined that it would have. <laughs> I, I'm okay. still, I'm still not the best conversationally. Just and, and main, mainly because I'm just not really talking to too many people who speak those language on a day to day basis. You know. Um, and uh, but when it comes to reading it and understanding, I, I actually read and understand both languages pretty well now, uh, which is kind of cool. But uh, yeah, so I've done stuff like that. So that's been a good thing. Um, I guess even from a from a work standpoint, yeah, the good thing has been pushing myself in different ways, like like figuring out how this website 
you know, how that's going to come together, uh, figuring out different ways to tell stories. I, I did about six or seven games total during the college football season. I had a couple of, you know, rough moments, especially early because I was out of practice. You know, I hadn't done a sideline game at that point in almost a year. Mm. Um, I thought my first game was really good and I just felt like my second and third were a little bit rough. And then I picked it back up, you know, as, as the year went on, I, I gained steam and, um, and it was great. And I honestly think that what did help me, uh, was the fact that I have been doing stuff on the side, uh, just to kind of stay in some level of practice. So I, I think in that sense, uh, the pandemic has helped me from a career standpoint and just focusing my writing a little bit more. Uh, helping me find my voice uh, from a broadcast perspective because, you know, I was a writer for a long time. It's only been right. in the last couple of years that, that I've been solely in the, in the broadcast space. So, um, so there've been some benefits. And I, I think that's the thing about it is as we deal with this whole thing, as we all go through it, you kind of have to find what it is for you that, that is a positive that you can build upon, that you can take with you when we are, uh, hopefully in a, in a much better state with this and beyond it. And honestly, I, you know, I, I think that's the big thing for me is that I'm, I'm committing myself to trying to continue this stuff in a space that we can kind of, you know, navigate in a more normal format. Um, I definitely want to kind of take a lot of that stuff with me. For sure. I dig it. I dig it. And thank you for that. I think during the pandemic, you just, uh, I guess, caught the bug of just, you know what I really want to see my parents. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think you drove down to Atlanta to surprise me, right? I know you uh, took a road trip across the country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the pandemic sucks, right? And it just it it just sucked being indoors and like nothing going on. And I think we're both active people. We just want to get out, see, and do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just hard sitting down. Like we're not trying to be rude. We're not trying to continue to spread. But it's actually hard to sit down after being on the go literally for years at a time. What did you do to combat that? The big thing that I did to combat it was to take this road trip. (laughs) I can't sit still, you know, even though I've done things like learning languages. I Early on, I told myself I was going to try to take up painting again and and all that. I just could, I, I just can't sit still. I'm not, I don't like being stuck inside. And I think that's why this winter especially, um, you know, I'm going crazy because it's cold and it's hard to, to get outside more. Um, but in the spring and summer, especially in the summertime here in Chicago, um, even though the city wasn't what it normally is in the summertime, which is an amazing city, honestly, in the summer. But um, Absolutely I'm, amazing in the summer. Yeah. Top two, and it's not even two. Yeah, I love Chicago. It's the best, but absolutely. It's Please the continue, best. sir. Sorry about that. Oh, you're good, but it's, it is absolutely the best in the summer. But last summer, it wasn't summertime shy. It was something different, you know. Um, but to, to kind of combat all that uh, and to get outside, I ended up getting a bike pretty early in the pandemic. I have one that I had in younger days that's still in Atlanta, still at home, but I have not had a bike, you know, in many years. So I went out and just got a little used bike from a shop. This was before the bike boom kind of took off. I think I lucked up. Maybe I was two weeks before everybody across the country was buying bikes and then you couldn't find them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's not the best bike. It was used, uh, you know, it, it was probably very dependable. I would say 25 years ago. Yeah. So not the best. 
Yeah, not the best, but it, it was something. And honestly, for for what it was for me, it was very dependable. Um, you know, it got me all over the city because I rode so much this summer. I rode all over the city of Chicago, and it was it was great. And Chicago is a great place to ride because oh, it's very flat, but also seeing pockets in different neighborhoods that yes. you probably normally would have never passed, but also seeing like different parts of Chicago. Um, I love it. It just it just makes you love the city that much more. Yeah, it's it, um, the thing about it too. You know, you've got the lake, you've got the the the, uh, the bike paths, you've got the parks. They do a very good job with that kind of space here. I actually recently just bought a brand new bike for myself. That's what I did in the spring was to just get outside to get a little air. I still wore my masks even while I was riding, um, but it, it just in general it was just good to get the sunlight, good to get some air, and that's just. I mean, I mean, I need that. So to kind of extend that, I got to the point kind of late in the summer where I was like, you know, I'm I'm tired of being in the city. I want to go somewhere else. You know, I, I'm used to traveling, right? I'm used to when I was my previous job, when I was at ESPN, I mean, there were times I would travel three times a week somewhere different, you know, um, mm-hmm. be in one city, go home, then I'm off in another city, and then another city, and then back home. And um, And so I'm not used to being home all this much. So back in August, well, before August, but it was in August when I did it, um, I was saying, okay, I want to go see the country. You know, this is something that I had wanted to to do for a long time, uh, you know, growing up. I've always kind of loved geography and U.S. history and all these things. I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything really these days. And when when else am I going to have the time that I can literally just drive across the country and take two weeks away from, from what I'm doing? and and do that and i said now there's no time like the present so let's just get out and go and um you know i had i had one major reservation (laughs) before i even took off and what was uh, that reservation well (laughs) uh it's like i said this was in august when i ended up going um i guess the idea really hit me more in july like early july like you know i really want to do this but the very end of may we saw a police officer put his knee into the back of a man named George Floyd, and he didn't get off of George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Right. And, um, you know, obviously this is not new. Um, right. And I have been pulled over and that kind of thing in my life before. I've had, you know, police officers come up on me and some friends, guns drawn without so much as a warning of, what are you doing? It's just everybody hands up. They got their weapons drawn on us. Um, you're literally existing, but literally existing. Being treated like you know a criminal or somebody who's done something. Yeah, literally existing or existing mm-hmm. in a space where you're not supposed to be, right? You know, right. And um, it looks like you're not supposed to be. I should say it that way. And so, yeah, that was my concern, especially knowing that the path that I was likely going to go on. There's a lot of wide open territory, a lot of rural area. Um, and I wasn't so concerned about like if I had if I had car issues, obviously I prayed that that wouldn't happen. I ended up renting a car um, for the drive, but I you know prayed that I didn't have that. But my biggest concern was getting pulled over in the middle of nowhere, um, given everything that was going on in the country. And of course, I didn't even make it. I, I I think I barely crossed the 24 hour mark 
um, when I was pulled over. I was um, in this small county in Nebraska, just west of Lincoln, Nebraska, which is, you know, where the- What was the name of the town, if you don't mind me asking? And this is only because this is coming from a former Nebraska resident. That's right. That's right. I think the city Mm -hmm. nearby is Stewart, but I remember it was Stewart County. Stewart or Seward? Oh, it is Seward. You might, you're, you're right. Seward, yeah. I think I've been in Stewart. It is Seward. I'm guessing you were on I-80? I was on I-80, yep. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Talk to me. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, obviously I live in Chicago now and I was leaving from Chicago and my whole plan was basically to go all the way to San Francisco and then, um, down to LA and then I was going to come back up to the Grand Canyon and, um, you know, and then kind of back through the Southwest that way, back up to Denver and then back over. So, um, so I was on 80 a lot, but in Seward County, I'm driving just over 80. The speed limit there was 75 miles an hour because it's wide open territory. Um, I'm doing like maybe 82, 83 when I look up and I see, you know, in the median ahead of me, I see a, a police vehicle. So I instinctually, I ease off my gas. I don't throw in a brake. I just ease off on the gas. And by the time I'm passing the vehicle, not only am I at the speed limit, I'm literally under the speed limit. I'm doing two miles an hour under the speed limit. So I was doing 73 in a 75. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I showed them that I'm right, not only right at the speed limit, I'm barely under it. So I'm thinking I'm probably okay. But, you know, being black and being uh, someone who's been in situations where you've gotten stopped for no reason other than being yes, black before. Sir. Yes, sir. I, uh, you know, I kept looking up in the rearview mirror. And actually at the time, as I was driving at that moment, I, I happened to be on the phone with my parents. Um, you know, I had them on the Bluetooth in the car. And, you know, I told them when I was coming up on these police officers and I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm probably good. And then I remember telling them, I, you know, it was, I didn't think it was that long away, but I ended up doing the math when I was coming back. Um, so this was actually several miles away. I look up and I see this vehicle in the distance, just speeding in the distance behind me. And it looked like it was probably that that car. So I got over into the slow lane and, um, you know, kept doing a nice speed. You know, I kept a nice little pace. And um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they come up, they catch up to me and they just sit there uh, trailing me for what was about three miles. At that point, they trailed me for about three miles and it took them about another three before they caught up to me. So, um, you know, so they're running, clearly running my plates or something, but they're, they're basically just hovering in the pass lane behind my car, uh, for three miles. And I'm like, this is so crazy. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm watching the, the car in front of me. I'm watching my speed, you know, I'm looking forward. And finally, they decide to pull me over. So when they pull me over, um, the guy comes up and he says, uh, well, uh, you know, it's it's illegal uh, in Nebraska to, to go under the speed limit when you're in the passing lane. And I'm like, okay. Because in my head, I'm like, I was only doing two miles an hour under the speed limit. And no, I was doing, nothing makes, yeah, okay, got it. I was I'm doing sorry. 65, I got it, you know, but <laughs> I was doing two miles an hour under. And clearly I slowed down because I saw you. <laughs> uh, so I just say, okay, you know, he says, um, you know, he sees my license and I'm, you know, I'm like, look, this is a rental. This, you know, this is not my vehicle. Um, the car's got Iowa plates. 
Um, I think at that time I still didn't have my Illinois ID come to think of it. Uh, so I still had my ID from when I lived in the Northeast and, you know, and I'm like, I live in Chicago now. I know this looks, it might look strange, but I'm literally just driving West because I have nothing to do. And this is the pandemic and I just want to see the country. And, uh, she says, well, you know, I don't give uh, tickets to people from out of state, but I do need to give you a warning, um, for that infraction. And I'm like, okay. So he says, uh, can you get out of the car and come over by my vehicle? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, hell no, I don't want to do that. But I also realized that I don't want this to go poorly. I don't know what's going on. I've got my phone, my, my parents on, you know, as I, as I'm being pulled over, I told them, I said, all right, you guys be quiet. I'm leaving you, leaving the phone on, Mm -hmm. um, you know, y'all pay attention. So I'm not too concerned because I know that, but I also lot to weigh in that situation though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also know that that's not a guarantee that that isn't even. So, uh, so yeah, so I get out, I'm, you know, I keep my phone in my hand and, um, and when I get to the car, uh, out of the passenger seat steps another police officer. And this guy is massive. He is like an NFL tight end, you know, it's a big yeah. guy. And, yeah. um, and he, you know, he tries to be polite. He's like, oh, could you just have a seat right here? And I said, oh, no, it's okay. I'll stand right here. I don't mind standing. And he says, well, you know, in the event that, uh, say, a car, you know, comes up and hits us from behind, uh, you know, we, we'd feel much better if you were in the car and, you know, if something happened, then, you know, then it would be me. I'd be the one that got hurt, you know, and I'm like, well, okay. You know, if you say it that way, but I still don't want to do it, but I'm just like, whatever, let me just, you know, let this go as closely by the book, even though it's not going by the book, but as by the book as it can. So I'm sitting there and my, my other biggest complaint and biggest issue with that whole experience is I'm wearing my mask. Neither one of those two men are. And, you know, and they're asking me all these questions. Oh, where are you going? What are you doing? Um, where are you from? Oh, Chicago. Oh, I was just in Chicago. Da, 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 da. You know, all this, all this stuff, literally, clearly fishing, trying to see what, um, you know, if they could find me in violation of something. And I'm like, guys, you know, literally, I'm just driving west. Um, oh, where are you staying? Um uh, just with friends. I mean, that was a lie. I, I was staying at hotels all along the way. Um, that's the one thing about being a sports writer. You know, you, you know, you know, the hotels, <laughs> <Real funny>. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get the points yeah. and all that. So like right. I had that set up, but I'm just like, Oh, with friends. Oh, you must have a lot of friends. I'm like, well, I mean, between college and my career, actually I do. And the crazy thing is I do, you know, I have, I, I stopped and, and, all within social distance uh, rules, of course, but I stopped in Omaha right before that. I've got a really, really close friend who lives in Omaha. So I saw her and her family and um, I didn't see anyone in Denver, but I do know a couple of people in Denver and uh, San Francisco. I've got friends out there and LA. I've got a lot of friends there. And, you know, so I did have friends along the way. It wasn't really lying fully, but I wasn't staying with anybody, you know? So, but I just said that to him because he doesn't need to know where I'm going and who I'm interacting with, you know? None of your business, Chief. None of your business. And, but every, you know, he just kept peppering me with those types of questions. And so finally, you know, and of course they asked me, um, you know, what I do and I I tell them my career and it, 
initially it just seemed like they didn't want to believe me. Oh, you know, I, I watch sports. I don't know if I've seen, you know. I was like, well, I was literally just out here a year ago. I had a Nebraska game. I had the Nebraska-Northwestern game uh, over in Lincoln. And when I say that, they – that cleared up everything. I'm well, it no, it didn't. <laughs> like that, it didn't. Whoa, Whoa. They're, they're still like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> right, okay. So then, uh, so then I, they love their Huskers. That I do know. Yeah, so that, that's why I pulled it out too. I mean, it was the truth, but it was still kind of like they're like, I don't believe you, you know. So finally, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna ask these guys. Oh, so how, you know, how's your day going? Because it was morning. It was like 10 a.m. So I'm like, oh, you know, I. How you guys doing today? You know, what, what's going on with you guys? You know, I'm, I'm trying to now turn it on them. And as soon as I do that, they both basically clam up. You know, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, I mean, it was like they, they didn't really want to answer me the way they were expecting me to answer them. Yeah, but so they had no the problem firing off questions towards you. Exactly. So when I turn yeah. tables on them, it throws them off, you know. And so yeah. anyway, that that happens. And uh, finally, he, he finishes writing the warning and uh, sends me on my way, but um, yeah, I mean that was nuts. That happened right as I started. And the the other thing about all of that is that before I even left, I was so careful with my planning, particularly planning around situations like that possibly happening, that I even packed uh, in in the car. I packed this hat that's kind of a it it sort of looks like a trucker's hat. You know, it's got the rounded bill, and you know, it, you know, I. Mm-hmm. I I would like to wear it low and that kind of thing. I packed it away saying, oh, I should wear this when I'm driving in some of these rural areas. Um, Because then that way uh, you can't really tell maybe what my nationality is. And Mm. unfortunately, as I was coming through that area, I had forgotten that I had the hat in the car and Mm. I was not wearing it. So I'm pretty sure they looked up and could tell a person of color. Um, I had no other issues the rest of the drive, and I think in part because every time I was on the road, I wore that hat just yeah. so that I could try to blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was coming where I could see a you know police car in the distance, I would try to kind of you know kind of put my arms up in a way where where you couldn't you know you couldn't see the rest of my face all that clearly. You could just see the hat. Uh, it's just amazing that we have to think that way in order right. to preserve ourselves but right and and it's sad um one i'm sorry you had that experience we have to think so many different ways if it goes this way okay here's a plan if it goes that way here's a plan right for mm-hmm. every little thing but also let me ask you this with the summer you know that we had and seeing all the uprisings across the world but also again seeing you know continue you know black people you know unjustly getting shot and killed and just killed out on, you know, camera, what are you feeling and like, what are you thinking in those moments while they're squaring you up, asking you all these questions? What I'm thinking is, you know, unfortunately, do what they're asking you. Um, Do what they're asking you so you can go home. My parents, like I said, they were on the phone, so they heard everything happen and <clears throat> excuse me, when we got done or when, when, when that interaction got done, um, they both said, they were like, you know, we're, we're proud of you because you handled that as well as you could have. And, um, and, you know, just, you, you did everything you could have possibly done, you know, um, and it just shows that you've been paying attention and also that, you know, that you, 
paying attention to the world, but also paying attention to us, you know? And so even in that interaction and especially afterward, I think about them. And like when I've told other friends of mine that story, they kind of have, like that was their first thought was, oh my gosh, your parents, you know? And I, even back then, I didn't even think about that as much as even now, now I'm starting to really get more of an appreciation for that. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's gotta be nerve wracking that, that you don't know what could happen in that interaction. That could be the moment that your child is gone. And I'm an only child too. So, you know, that, that's um, it. That that could that was it, you know. So I, I think about them. I think about um just in general where our society is and I was having a, co- a conversation just yesterday with a colleague from work about how and this is a a colleague who's white and we were talking about how back in June and July, you know, everybody was all on board with all these changes and you know the 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 protests were really happening. They were paying off. There was real revolution going on when it came to this issue, or at least it seemed. And we all kept saying, let's just make sure this momentum continues. Let's just make sure right. that we don't drop the ball. And it right. feels it like just across the yeah. world we have, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or across various parts of the States we have. And that's what we were talking about just yesterday that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's on all of us to make sure that we don't. And that's white, black, brown, everybody, men, women, everybody. Um, But, uh, but I I think about that too. I just think about how, unfortunately for some people, it's just going to take another reminder before they realize how serious this really is in part because we're distracted by so many other things as a society. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw, a lot of performative and blanket statements, but we saw mm-hmm. statements and people finally acknowledge on a mass level Black Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part, at least. But it's just still like, there's still work to be done. And we saw things happen and we saw things move. But also what I heard when you was telling your story, this could be, and I hate that it's a thought, but this is what I felt and this is what I heard. This could go any kind of way. And this could mm-hmm. be the last time, you know, I'm a free man. This could be the last time I'm alive, but also this could be the last time, you know, I talk to my parents as well. That's what I heard. And I hate that, unfortunately, even when we're literally doing something as simple as driving across the country to see the country, to see friends, to get a new experience, also doing nothing illegal whatsoever, we still somehow in the back of our minds feel that anything could happen from this whether it's you know my word against theirs anything can happen but to be honest with you i'm i'm glad you were able to walk away from that incident and i'm glad we're on the you know talking in this space now same (laughs) very (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) but take away that experience how was your trip overall oh my gosh um one of the best experiences of my life and I don't say that with any hyperbole. Uh, you know, I had never seen the Grand Canyon. That was a big part of the trip, too. I only went one day uh, to the canyon, and I was there all day. And, I mean, I, I basically walked uh, almost 10 miles. It was a little over nine miles that I walked uh, just along the edge of the rim at the, the top. And then I walked into the canyon some, too. Um, 
I wish if I, you know, maybe one of these days, if I get a chance to go back, I would love to spend, you know, some extra time there so I could actually go all the way to the bottom and cross it. Uh, they basically say you can't do that in one day. You got to do that in two days because it's just the change in elevation. So it's still a very arduous uh, journey. The other thing too was seeing friends. I've got a, a really close friend who has a family in in the Bay Area, and it was you know really good to see them. And being in LA was just I mean it's a totally different vibe, and um, you know I can't lie I, I was missing the West Coast. I was missing the, being in warmer climates. You know where it's like warmer year round. I was missing that. So that was that was good to do that for the drive. And, and then again, just to say that I've done that now, um, you know, that's a big part of it too, to feel accomplished. I've got a friend I was talking to the other day and I said, you know, I, I, I'm at the point right now, I actually want to drive across country again. <laughs> um, I would love yeah, to do that route that again. Way. I wouldn't mind doing that route again, but I, I think because I've already done it, I would want to go like towards Seattle, you know, I'd want to go okay. up north and across. And of course, I can't do that right now. It's too cold. Right. No, mm-hmm. and driving wouldn't be wouldn't be good. Um, wouldn't be ideal right now. But who knows? Maybe this summer, if if I'm still not doing much, maybe I will do that again. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I'm not a fan of winter at all. Like any kind of cold weather, not a fan, right? Yeah. Uh, but like when it warms back up again, I would love to do, you know, a road trip. I definitely want to do it, but it's just a matter of, you know, being safe too. If you don't mind me asking, how did you land at your parents' house? Yeah. So that started it. You know, the, the road trip was in August and that was another part of the reason why I wanted to go on the trip. Uh, I haven't seen my parents at that point. I hadn't seen them since last January. So I said, you know, let me, let me try to, and even then, you know, it was very brief that previous visit. So I was like, let me, I got to see them. I got to be around them. And in order to do that, um, I felt like going on that road trip was going to give me a good game plan for how I could attack being on the road. Um, You know, one of the things that I did was um, in all the hotels that I went into I was super paranoid about uh, the AC vents and wiping things down. And, um, you know, I was very careful uh, being on the road that way. And I knew that if I could traverse all of these different places, um, I I just knew that I was going to feel good about doing that, seeing them. I knew at that point that I was going to have football season coming up. I wanted to go on my my initial road trip in August because I expected by September that they'd be playing football, at least in Big Ten country. And of course, in Big Ten country, they weren't. In other parts of the country, they were, but uh, but in Big Ten, they weren't. And so that's why I said, let me do the road trip when I did. Um, but by October, uh, or all through September, I still wasn't working. Thankfully, by the end of September, they had a plan for the Big Ten. And so we knew when in October the season was going to begin. And so I said, you know, before we get to that point, I got to see my parents. I've done this road trip. Let me just go down to Atlanta. Atlanta is about 11 hours from Chicago. And when I come home, my parents had no idea that I was coming. And at some point, maybe I was in Tennessee. At some point I was somewhere and I said, you know, I should really surprise them. I kind of thought about it even before I left, but I really in the middle of the drive, I was like, all right, I, I need to do this. Like, I think this is going to be great. I was just planning for it to be something that, you know, we all saw and we all appreciated, my parents and I. And um, so I pull in a driveway, 
park the car and I do a little quick video, you know, selfie video where I'm like, you know, hey, I just got to Atlanta, you know, let's see, let's see, um, you know, how my parents react, blah, blah, blah. They have no idea I'm coming, blah, blah, blah. So then I walk in the door <laughs> and I lucked up because they both just happened to be like right by the front or by the uh, the side door there. And um, my dad sees me walk in first and he he turned around like he heard the door open. He turns around and he's got his hands up, but he, he quickly he was so smart. He quickly caught himself and didn't shout. Uh, because he realized that my mom had her back turned. She had no idea. She was totally oblivious. So right. um, so then she turns around and sees me and she goes crazy. And, uh, and uh, you know, and then later on that night, I end up kind of putting the, the quick video together and I shared it on my Instagram. And uh, I think I shared it to Twitter too. And I didn't realize, but a lot of people, I guess, were feeling similarly like, man, you know, it's been so long since I've even seen my parents or, seen somebody in my family and um they could totally relate so it, that that video kind of took off on us <laughs> it kind of it kind of went mini viral and it really did i wouldn't <laughs> even call it a mini viral i think it i think it legit went viral it was actually a really sweet video though yeah <laughs> um, it was a fun moment though i'm so glad i could share that with them and you know i spent a whole week there um funny thing like it, it seemed like a lot of that week we were you know talking to friends, family, and other people about that, um, about that video. But, uh, but yeah, we got a chance to really spend some time together and, and, you know, it, it was, it was great to have that before the season. And now, um, you know, now I'm, I'm ready to get back down there. Hopefully, hopefully at some point very soon, I'll, I'll go again. I, I debated the next time I go, I debated surprising them again <laughs> and seeing, seeing if the reactions are, are the same or different or what, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a really good, um, really good opportunity. I was I'm so happy I was able to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Coley Harvey. If you'd like to follow him on Twitter, I'll have his information for you in the show notes. Editorial oversight and production support is provided by Christina Sturdivant-Sani. Our music is by Mark Henry Beats. And our photo is by Evan White. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TPYMPod, on Instagram at The People You Meet Pod, and The People You Meet Podcast on Facebook. If you like this episode or any others, be sure to leave a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And shout out to all the 2021 graduates embarking on a new journey, Mark Zareski for being so awesome, and Justice Hill for connecting all of us, and George and Nikki for their new house. I'm your host, Richard White, and thank you for listening. Until next time, wash your hands and please, please, please be safe.